0: you yeah. 12 verse 11 And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb
1: and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death Welcome to by the word of their testimony and here is your host Rod Butler Hello listeners and welcome to our program so glad you could join us My guest today is Pastor Eddie Mackey Eddie spent 11 years teaching science and maths in public and private schools in Queensland and New South Wales He then changed course to pastoral ministry and invested more than 30 years in evangelism and pastoral ministry in Australia and New Zealand. After his retirement from pastoral ministry, Eddie went back to school to gain formal qualifications in nutritional health and health coaching. And while Eddie is now retired, he is busier than ever with his health ministry. But as we'll hear, uh, Eddie's early years were challenging to say the least, and obstacles and setbacks he faced had a dramatic impact on the direction of his life. Eddie is married with two sons and two daughters. Welcome, Eddie. Thank you, Rod. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Very good. Now, before we commence, uh, let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you and praise you for your leading in our lives and the opportunity to give our testimonies. May the Holy Spirit bless our discussion and all honour and glory be to you. Mm. In Jesus' name, Mm. amen. Amen. Now, Eddie, uh, you have one of your favourite texts you would like to share with us, Uh, Hebrews
0: 12. Yes, Hebrews 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, Rod. It goes something like this. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, um, let us run the race with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. So that tells me that while I'm looking to Jesus, I'm on the way to glory, to a to a new heaven and a new earth, and that uh, my
1: goal is beyond this world we live in today. And praise God, praise God. Well, thank you for that. Let us, uh, let us get started. Tell us a bit about your background, where you were born and your family.
0: Okay. I was born in Rockhampton, Queensland in uh, 1940. My mother tells me that um, I nearly died from pneumonia at six months. Uh, a doctor stayed up all night just to make sure that I'd make it through the night. So I've had a, a lung uh, problem most of my life, really. Uh, it's reared its head now and again. But from there, um, we moved to, uh, to southern Queensland. My forebears settled on property in Chinchilla, south Queensland. And um, some of my early life was there. I remember one time in particular I was with my grandmother for a whole year just on the property Later we moved to Mono which is in the central highlands of Queensland inland from Bundaberg and that's where I guess I spent most of my early life but particularly what comes to mind is an incident in terms of my connection with God because as a boy um, through the Orthodox uh, Catholic system of belief um, there's always the concept of having to work hard to meet demands of God you know that God is there as a as a big, uh, a big daddy, so to speak, to uh, to give you a whacking when you did the wrong thing, and I still remember at, at, at age five, I think I told a little white lie, and I wasn't uh, prepared to <laughs> to confess it. So I went to bed that night, and the little jingle came to my mind. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. As my little mind, you know. Uh, cogitated on that. I thought, how on earth can God take me if I have done this sin? Because sin would put me in hell. And I wrestled as a little boy with the whole, whole idea of guilt and shame for for wrongdoings, and uh, you know the idea of ha- having to go to an earthly priest.
1: Eddie, no. that's a pretty heavy concept for a five year old. Mm. Yeah, and it stayed with me for many years. I
0: remember that. I never had peace with mm. God. And in, in fact, my idea of God was, you know, he was too hard. I distanced myself from that picture that the system of belief I was brought mm. up in gave me. That, to me, was a God I couldn't connect with. And really, I, I spent most of my early life mm. like, um, just doing root, uh, routine stuff. I was a head altar boy at the, at the church in Monto, uh, So I was, you know, <laughs> doing the hard yards but uh, never felt a connection with God in
1: my early years. With your concept of God, that he was hard, um, how did your relationship with your own father impact your relationship or view of God?
0: That's another story, Rod. Um, My father also had his challenge with God. Coming from a Catholic background, his mother was a very strict, uh, if you like, uh, devoted Catholic, and she would just uh, every night go through the rosary, Every day she was uh, basically uh, um, depending on God, moment by moment. And so, my father was a bit of a bit of a tomboy, a bit of a bit of a rouser about, and he could never connect the idea of everyday life with a God with all these strict rules. And so he used to oftentimes end up in the hotel. He was a, a hopeless alcoholic, in my view, wasted his life. And so my father, particularly, was never a father. I can never call him a dad. Um, and you know, we, I came from a family of four boys and we had, if you like, a very poor model of what a father and husband should be, which was a, <laughs> yeah. And, and so through my earthly father and the concept of the heavenly father, <laughs> I just had no idea of mm. how I was going to make it through life
1: as a man. Mm. So with, with that pressure in the home, with that view of your father, um, what sort of kid were you? Did you prefer the outdoors? How were you academically? Tell us about school and and the outdoors. Yeah, look, home was a war zone, if
0: I can put it in simple terms. To me, and I really, yeah, I love the outdoors. Um, I used to go do some really challenging stuff. I mean, for example, I just had an ordinary push bike without any um, gears on it. At one time, there I rode to a, a town called Idesvale, which was. 82 kilometres away, there and back in the day on a, you know, a, a, a bike without, uh, without gears. It was quite a feat. Uh, on other occasions, I would just put a sugar bag in my back and a fishing line and, uh, and go to the creek and get a,
1: get a swag of fish. So, so the outdoors was my release valve, if
0: you like, yeah, yeah. from the home, very much.
1: Okay, and what about academically? Were you a smart kid? Did you find school easy or was it
0: difficult? I was always top of the class um, in my earlier years, and even when I went to high school some years later, um, the ducks of the seal pipped me by half a mark. That's <laughs> looking at, you know, hundreds of, uh, hundreds of marks.
1: So I was, I was right up there uh, and through did, my school years. Did you gravitate to the, to the arts or did you go more the sciences and the maths? Very much science and maths. Uh,
0: I also excelled in sport. I was always, you know, pretty handy with uh, cricket bat and uh, football and whatever, yeah, Anything of that nature, tennis, all of those sports were very uh, much a part of my psyche. My identity Mm. was in sport, academics, where I could excel in the outdoors. Mm. But my home life was a very troubled one. Emotionally, I was uh, a wreck, and spiritually, I had no connection with God. So really, those two factors in my life... Shaped me in a way that set me up for disaster
1: later. Okay, but you were you were because of what was having at home. You were driven to excel in other things. That's that's right. Okay, Th- that was my now, escape. So so tell us then, um, what directed your uh, education after school? What was your uh, your direction? What did you think you were going to be when you grew up?
0: Yeah, look, I really had the idea I'd like to be a doctor, a medical doctor. In those days, they were you know the top of the range as far as professions. And, uh, you know, caring for people. Um, but because of my uh, deprived home background, um, I wasn't able to pursue a career path that led to medicine. And so my only, my only outlet, because I grew up in a little, this little town motto, in those days it was, it was the days when high schools were just emerging. And the local high school only took, uh, took you up to year 10 where to, to get mm. to university? Mm. and to go to year twelve, and so uh, at the local high school, I um, I applied for a for a scholarship, which would give enough money to my mother, who was the sole breadwinner. My father not providing anything whatever to help the family, um, provide enough money for me to go away to secondary education at the the premier Catholic boarding school in Queensland, Nudgee College, and I. Uh, but just prior to that. Um, I had uh, in a chemistry class uh, by the teacher, Mr. Brady, inhaled some chlorine, which uh, <clears throat> damaged my lungs. The th-
1: teacher wasn't trying to kill you, was he, Eddie?
0: <laughs> well, looking back, I don't know. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> but certainly uh, it changed the course of my life because I ended up with double pneumonia and gastroenteritis, hospital- hospitalised for a-, a whole month. And in the midst of all that, had to sit the external exams for the state. And
1: here I was putting in my application for a so, so scholarship. So just, just yeah. so I understand that. So right when you're doing your finals, yes. which, which affect your whole life, yes. which affects where you're going to be studying. Whether right I then, could leave Mito or not. Yeah. A teacher gets you to inhale chlorine gas and that, you're so sick you can't sit the exams. That's right. So what did you do? And there was no way that I wanted to see a future. Motto had no
0: future for me. So I really, mm-hmm. my whole goal was to get out. So- what I did then was uh, I had to sit the exam at home and I still remember almost falling asleep during the thing, but I, there was eight exams and I sat them all and I think God must have had his hand in it, right? I, don't, I can say nothing else um, because through that, I managed to, be, to gain a scholarship to, uh, to the teacher's uh, college in Brisbane, um, <clears throat> which would allow me to study at, uh, at Nudgee College for two years. Yeah. Okay, so and how did you go there? Well, at Nudgee again, I excelled in sport and academics. Ended up getting quite high grades. In fact, <laughs> you know, many of my classmates ended up being doctors and nurse and uh, and uh, dentists later. Uh, in in terms of the whole class, I was about second or third academically in the class of seventy. And many of those uh, who weren't perhaps as proficient in academics end up being doctors. So if I hadn't uh, been uh, come from a, uh, what shall we say, a deprived uh, um, financially home background, mm. I could have perhaps well been a doctor. But looking back on it, I think it was uh, just as well I didn't because there mm. are some things today in medicine that uh, are uh, perhaps... Uh, challenging, which uh, I'm glad I didn't go down that path now. But at the time, <laughs> I was following this career path for a primary school teacher. And then towards the end of the uh, the uh, years at Nudgee College, I saw an opportunity to apply for a bursary to go on to university. In other words, I could bypass primary to secondary teaching, which I applied for. Mm. And my name appeared in the Courier Mail, which was the, uh, the, yeah, the statewide... Uh, as as one hmm. of about forty people from the state that were chosen to be able to uh, go to university and uh, and be trained for high school teaching, so it was a very very real privilege.
1: Okay, so you you did your um, finish your teaching for high school, your degree in in Brisbane. Yes, tell us about your first posting. Right in 1963,
0: the Department of Education posted me to Chinchilla. Chinchilla happened to be the very place where my forebears had settled Mm. many years before and still had a a, a property there. My grandfather called it Biala. And during my university years, I used to often go to my uncle's farm and do farm work. Um, But uh, yeah, during that, uh, and this this school uh, at uh, at Chinchilla, um, I I happened to be uh, there at the very founding of the school. It was just It only commenced in that year, nineteen sixty-three. So you were part of the first staff intake for that school, and was it a big school? Uh, About two hundred to begin with. Okay, yeah. So So,
1: were you teaching a lot of students?
0: um, Yeah, mainly maths and science Uh, classes varied
1: between twenty-five and thirty. Okay, yeah. Okay. So after uh, the school at Chinchilla, Chinchilla, where did you go then? Right. I, I should
0: mention also one of my two of my outlets there in Chinchilla were being part of the Apex Club and also sport. Uh, I, I excelled in in athletics, won many trophies in athletics, hundred yards, two hundred, eight hundred. Also, uh, the the football team I was in ended up get, get, winning the premiership. So you know there was always that um, balance, if you like, between uh, the physical and the and the academic. And then at the end of 64, I was in Chinchilla for two years, uh, I was called to Atherton in 1965, which was in the north of Queensland, mm. a school of about 600, so quite quite a lot bigger, again, as a, as the science teacher there.
1: Mm. Okay. Now, you mentioned you were doing very well in athletics and uh, you mm. community-minded, but how are you going? Uh, was that because you were throwing yourself in that, because you were having trouble else? Were you... With any issues with relationships? Did you still have trouble with the family? Yeah. Talk to us about, about the other side of um, who you were, because often when people throw themselves into outdoor events it's because maybe they don't want to be elsewhere. Mm. Was there anything there with you, Eddie? Yeah. Yes, Rod, that's a
0: good question. I think underpinning all that's happened so far was a sense of survival in my home of origin. You know, many times I ran for my life from my father, he he ch- he chased me on several occasions um and uh, you know that that fear of uh, of uh, if you like being uh, uh physically uh if you like challenged by my father haunted me so emotionally I, as i said before i was a very um, broken person and i'd never learned to handle my emotions because my father couldn't handle his mm. and my mother unfortunately was a closed book emotionally she was a very sort of um, private person, never shared any really any of her emotions. And so in that sense, I was unfitted to to form any meaningful relations, particularly with women. With men, I could get along because I had three brothers. We never had sisters. And mum was really uh, a very, if you like, um, she was a very damaged woman, personally. And uh, I never saw love between my mother and father. And so as far as relating to girls and females was concerned... It was hard work. It was hard work, Rod. Mm. Mm. Okay. But I managed to find a relationship with a young lady in in the Atherton uh, High School, uh, the the, uh, commercial teacher. We had a relationship, and for the first time in my life I felt really connected with this woman, and she, she felt the same, I'm sure. And we had what I'd have to term a romantic relationship, Um, Eventually, however, with anything, it doesn't last forever. And there came a a point of conflict, probably July or August, and uh, something happened there whereby she upset me. She didn't meet my, if you like, expectations in a certain area. And um, it affected me so deeply emotionally I couldn't forgive her. I'd never learnt how to forgive because I, I, I just never had seen that in my father and mother. Uh,
1: my father was, if you
0: like, mm. uh, very strict and, um, and, and, and lady, we very know, independent.
1: And we know that if you can't forgive, you can't move on. Exactly. Um, for, forgiveness is so important That's for right. us to move on.
0: And that haunted me for years, that sense, yeah.
1: So where did you move to after Aston, and what happened then? Yeah, at the end of that year, I
0: was called back to Wavell Heights in Brisbane, which proved... And by the way, with that, uh, with that relationship with the young lady... Um, my first protocol call, if you like, was to try and pray to the statues. I was still at that time hanging on to the Catholic Church as my, mm, if okay. you like, spiritual uh, uh, mentor. Uh, but every time I prayed to these statues, nothing happened. It didn't seem
1: to resolve it. So, so God was distant. He wasn't there for you at all. Exactly.
0: And the statues, of course, couldn't yep. speak. So there mm-hmm. I was. And so that, that that was also part of that whole challenge of not connecting with uh, hmm. with females but also not connecting with god. Yeah. So I came to Brisbane, uh, to call, re, I was called there, transferred there in 1966 and the uh, w- w- Wavell Heights High School in those days again was in that transition state from primary to secondary. It was a high school of about 1500, there was about
1: a staff of 60. So so then sorry to interrupt, how did you find um Dealing with city kids versus country kids on such a big school, uh, yeah. Was, was there a difference back then?
0: Oh, opposite ends of the scale. Uh, the country kids, particularly at Atherton, were very uh, obedient, very friendly, very supportive. Where the city kids, that particularly where I came came to, was from a low low economic class, uh, strata, and were very rebellious by nature. They they just didn't want to conform. And they gave me a really hard time. used to, in the class, oftentimes upset the the way things were moving. I had an authoritarian approach to teaching. I wanted to have things my way. <laughs> and, of course, in the country it might work, but it certainly didn't work in the city. And so these kids had it in for me. At one time, they even slashed my tyres. I had a Volkswagen and they slashed it. You know, every tyre was, was punctured. No,
1: that's pretty provocative. So
0: they just letting me know, we don't need you. Mm. Yeah, And, uh yeah. So how, how did uh, how did your time at uh, Wavel Heights resolve itself? Yeah, look, it didn't. Um, in the following year, early '67, there was an, in- an incident in the chemistry class, which turned to be a turning, which,
1: uh, um, eventuated to be a turning point in my life. Eddie, you've got problems with chemistry classes. <laughs> it's second right. time you've had a chemistry class uh, turning point. Yeah, but this wasn't chloride. <laughs> okay, okay. This was a this was a student um
0: and, and yeah this young young man i won't name him on the on the program but a young a young dutch lad in the class there had been a real uh, pest if you like uh, simply to put it a real uh, troublemaker he, he seemed always wanting to to get uh, to take the rise out of me and uh on this particular occasion i was in a chemistry uh, uh, demonstration and he just uh, I think I uh, spoke to him a couple of times he just continued to basically ignore me and of course with my um football psyche and the tough man sort of uh, <laughs> image I had I I just couldn't take it so I um I put aside my whole if you like persona as a as a as a teacher and I just uh, I can't remember the exact process the way it went but as rapidly as I could, I moved from behind the demonstration desk, confronted him, and uh, physically, uh, I, did, I didn't punch him, but I physically grabbed him mm. Ouch! and basically said, you know, see how smart yep. you are now. And of course, there was cries and screams
1: in the class. Yeah. That's and, very uh, career limiting. Uh, reflecting on mm. that later, I knew that my career was over. Okay. So that would have sent you into a bit of a spiral. Tell well, us about that. Yeah. Well, the, the deep issue there, Rod, was
0: I had never been trained in life skills. Mm. I, I, I've learned a lot since then. But at that time, I was ill-equipped to face life and and uh, be confronted in a leadership role. So at that time, did you have any support in Brisbane? Were you by yourself? I was by myself in a flat. I think I've uh, forgotten the name of the suburb, but it was a drive about half an hour to the school, I really had no relationships that I could
1: depend on or share with. And you weren't involved in any in community activities? None at all. So you're basically all by yourself. You've right. just had a very career-limiting moment. Yes. Um, no one to turn to, no one to support you. That's right. Mm, what happened? Yeah. Well, at
0: that point, I resigned the next day. I knew I couldn't mm. face the future in teaching. And in fact, the students wouldn't let me, I'm sure. Um, so I, I, I then thought, what? what are the options? So I... Because of my, uh, if you like, um, experience in academics, I sat a an IBM exam and and got quite a high um, a high mark with that, and then applied for a job with Australian Iron and Steel. They were just setting up one of the first programmer classes in Australia uh, down at uh, at Wollongong, and so uh, that was where I went from the if you like the from teaching. My next move was to uh <clears throat> to try a career path in computer programming. And and of course that's <laughs> very different from teaching. Teaching is where you're interacting mm-hmm. with people. The computer doesn't speak to you, it just looks at you all mm-hmm. day and says nothing. So it was a totally different uh yep. type of interaction there. A- and eventually I, I um I got tied up with a spiritualistic uh group in Sydney called the School of Philosophy and uh again there, I was looking for a deeper meaning to life. I was still searching spiritually and emotionally. Those were the two areas where I was weak. But uh, unfortunately, the spiritualistic society brought me to the place where I had to flee for my life, from from uh, from uh, Sydney back to my home of origin in, in Monto, and stayed with my mother for the next year.
1: Mm. Okay, and after that year, where did you go, Eddie?
0: I realised I couldn't you know, any longer sponge on my mother. I, I felt very ashamed about that. Life had no meaning for me. I think I, I, did, um, I did share something with you that I might uh, read for for just a second here. Um, the dog-eat-dog the, uh, the dog attitude of people in the world generally disgusted me to the point where I just wanted out.
1: Um, sorry, sorry, just if I can interrupt. Yeah. This is something you wrote at the time?
0: This is something I wrote later as I reflected
1: on okay, my life. Okay, okay, yep. But it, it just gives you a bit of a, a word
0: yep. picture of where I was at. I, uh, and, and
1: sorry, and this is when you're
0: 29? Uh, no, sometime later. Okay. At age 29, I was a lost cause. Yep. I had no really mental uh, ability or, or agility, but this was sometime later when I'd recovered my okay, mental. Okay, okay, yeah. yep. And this is how I, I put it together. Realising the emptiness of this world "'to become embittered, lonely, and destitute "'of any goal or aim in life. "'My life at that time echoed the words "'an aimless life is a living death. "'The sun would rise each morning "'only to, reach, to mock the darkness of my soul "'as I eked out an existence day by day, "'a wreck of humanity without hope, "'without love and without God, "'in what appeared to be a sick, selfish, and empty world. "'As a result, I suffered a, a complete nervous breakdown.' And uh, at the end of that that year, I literally stared death in the face, and it, I remember I was in a just uh, cutting the cutting the chase a bit, but uh, towards the end of it, I, I went back to Sydney. Uh, I ended up getting a couple of very low class jobs, as a as a radio uh, dispatch and receipt clerk, also as a cleaner, uh, industrial cleaner. But you know, at the end of it all, I was I was. Uh, Facing death, if I can put it that way, mentally, in every which way, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually i was uh, I was just just on the way out so at that point, nothing in this world attracted me or, or meant anything, and I thought, if there is a God, if there is a god this this was my very Sorry, for- very
1: just route mm-hmm. here you would you would have to say at this point, you are at rock bottom that's right there's nothing. In life at all for you. Were, that, were you suicidal? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, definitely. Sorry, keep going, Eddie. But I wasn't going to go down that
0: track because yep. I didn't know where it went. Yep. Um, so so the thing is now, I'm going to reach out to someone that really I had no reason to reach out to because what I'd made a mess of my life. I knew that I had messed up my life big time. But for some reason, I was still alive. And I thought, well... If this being who made me still cares at all, he's the only one I can go to because the world has nothing to offer. And I just uh, pray to prayer something like this. God, if you're real, please help me. I confess I made a mess in my life. Forgive me and help me to just make something useful in my life.
1: Yeah. Eddie, it says in Psalm 120 verse 1, In my distress I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. That's right. That was a prayer. That was a cry for help. Did, how did God
0: hear you? Right, that was the first prayer of my life at age 29. All those other prayers, those routine prayers, vain repetition, mm-hmm. the Bible calls them, went nowhere. But that went from my heart straight to God. I was imprompted the next day to go back where I'd began the slide, back to teaching, of all things. Mm-hmm. Here I was, right mm-hmm. at the bottom of the ladder, doing cleaning work, and here I am applying for teaching next morning. I ranked several schools, including a, high sc- a, a, wood, the, a girls' school in Albury. And the principal there came up the very next day, flew from Albury to Sydney, interviewed me and gave me a job as
1: a, as a teacher. And I thought, God must be real. <laughs> That's a pretty uh, pretty impressive uh, answer. You know. Did the answers keep coming? Were there more? Here I was on this downslide, mm. cried out to God, you know. It, Immediately it put you back into just teaching. Just incredible.
0: And, and, and in this small girls' school, I was able to gradually regain
1: my hold on life, regain purpose and routine. That, that's interesting because you, uh, you had to fall from a massive school in a public mm. uh, city environment. Mm. Was this a smaller school than a country environment? Oh, yes,
0: 120.
1: Okay. And I had classes between one to four. Okay. You know, how, how good is that? So God's putting you back into teaching in many ways with trainer wheels on. Yes. To get you back on your feet. That's right. Okay. So here I am, a man who's lived for self, and this world, and where did it
0: get me? All that, all that glory and fame from football and athletics and whatever, and high school teaching meant nothing. And, but at the bottom line is, there was a God who gave me life,
1: was there for me when I, when I reached out to Him. So, so, how did God then take you and take you the next step? How did God reveal Himself to you? Tell us about how you met God.
0: Sure. I guess that was a meeting with God. Um, I'd never read the Bible as as the book of i mean i've read it as another book but mm. not not as the bible not as god's word but from there on i um i had this sense of a divine presence in my life when i cried out i just i just had that peace which i would never found before i'd been chasing this world and it didn't didn't give me any peace when i cried out i just had it, it's an incredible uh, um thing but it was just a sense that there was someone looking after me and so that that then gave me the uh, if you like um purpose to live, because mm. I was in partnership with someone bigger than anything this world offers.
1: Which is amazing, because mm. you didn't know God at that stage. Yes, no. you'd been brought up in a religious uh, environment, but you yeah. didn't know God, but you had that feeling that God was in control, yeah. and he loved you. Yeah. So in that, envir- in that community, I then
0: began to, if you like, explore areas where I could get the outdoors. I became a scout leader, grew a scout troop from just a few to about 20 or 30 And then from there to a senior scout, Um, I was, uh, uh, in the meantime, had gone to another high school, the Albury North High School, was heading towards being a science master. I was getting up the ladder. And then in 1973, this is about,
1: I've been in Albury about five years. um, I'm going to be kind of interrupted. Listening to your story, it's interesting to see because you went from this height, you fell into the abyss. God's pulled you out. And he's repairing you. That's right. And even to the point where you're in a country setting Mm. and he's reconnecting you with the the community. That's right. Through community activities and other, you know, sporting events and so forth. Yes. uh, That would have been very good to help you develop back as a person and reconnect with people. And relationally.
0: Relationally, correct. Yeah. I was able to train uh, cricket teams, you know, that won the premiership Mm. and get involved in sports and all sorts of things like that. But mainly the scouting was what gave me, if you like, a, a, a... Purpose of of being meaningful. Uh, Some of the leading figures of the town had their boys come to me, the the the, uh, town clerk's boys, and also the uh, town public health officer. Yeah, but anyhow, um, life was good. And then God saw that He had a a different purpose for me than high school teaching. So I met a lady at a high school parent teacher night in uh, early '73. She said, look after my son who was in my chemistry class and, uh, you know, keep an eye on him. He's a bit of a, <laughs> a, bit of a lost soul, which I did. Um, and then a couple of months later, this very same lady is um, coming down my because pa- I purchased a house in the meantime in Lavington. And here she is coming down. And no one ever came. to I mean, I was just living on my own, really. I had, mm. I had, uh, you had a visitor. I had a visitor. <laughs> and this is the very same lady. And she's selling, guess what, health magazines. Now, at that time, I was very focused on with health because I'd, since my uh, mm. physical collapse, I'd become very uh, intentional about getting my health back on track. So I was already, I'd given up smoking, I'd given up alcohol. Uh, I was pretty much a vegetarian right. by that stage, just by conviction, not from reading the Bible or the church or anything. Just was this that, a gradual
1: you know. process or a cold it turkey was. process? No, gradual. gradual. Okay.
0: But what I'm saying is God was working on my heart. Yeah. That same God I'd cried out to was now, if you like, leading me through his spirit to make changes. So this body was something that I was caring for. And did
1: you feel you still felt God's presence and God's leading in your life? I felt somebody was there, yes, all the
0: time. And when this woman is coming up the path in 1973, um, it was like a divine moment. I'm sure the Holy Spirit touched my heart. This is not just accidental. And anyhow, we spent about an hour talking. She told me about her husband who'd been a former Roman Catholic priest and how he had um, basically uh, had visions from God. And uh, they had brought him to the place where he began to study the Bible, separate from the priesthood. He was, he was in the Vatican at the time, and uh, he, uh, he began to study um, the Bible and find that there's a lot of contradictions and he put these down to uh, send a letter to the Pope questioning things like why can't priests marry and uh, why why can't we confess our sins straight to God. A lot of things went in there and he was excommunicated. You don't ask questions like that if you're a priest. And uh, then he became a, a, a Seventh-day Adventist. I found this out later, of course. So you didn't tell me initially. But... Um, wh- has he shared with me some very miraculous things that happened during the war? I think I've mentioned already a couple of those with you, Rod. Um, the incident in the Underground Railway where he was just suddenly touched on the shoulder by a, a mm-hmm. person he'd never met, and they said, quick, come with me, and he took him 100 metres away, and a bomb fell where he was standing mm-hmm. a few minutes before. Mm-hmm. Another time, he was uh, with a prayer meeting in, uh, in the woods in Germany, and the Gestapo were informed by a whistleblower and the uh, the commandant uh, or the the leader of the Gestapo took Andrew and, and stood him over by the wall and was and tried to shoot him. He, Andrew, this was firsthand telling me this story. He said that, uh, he took took the 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 revolvers out, cocked them, and uh, pressed the trigger, and they just went click. And he, uh, his his eyes nearly bulged out of his face. He couldn't believe it. And Andrew, of course, all the time is just praying fervently to God and the man did it again and uh you know when you hear stories like that firsthand you realize there's a higher power than human and that got me going and i said well andrew how do i get to meet this god he said read the bible so i started reading i think i got to leviticus (laughs) and uh, i just couldn't get beyond leviticus you know so i got in touch with him again and by the way um his wife was a very hospitable lady. She invited me to their home, and I had meals there and so on. But that family friendship was true Christianity, which I'd never experienced in my life. And uh, that drew that me. Hmm.
1: So Eddie, with your science and your uh, your maths background, your, with your intellect, you've what, refocused now your uh, your intellect into Bible study, really, and to studying the Bible. Yes, yes. And I would often be up until...
0: See, I had the, the desire of ages, steps to Christ, right. great controversy. I was up to one o'clock in the morning. I couldn't, I couldn't get enough. And I'd be off, you know, waking up in the morning to get to school for the day. So I'm devouring all this, not realizing where God is taking me. And I still remember about, I don't know, July or August of that year, one, one morning. It would have been about one o'clock in the morning. It just hit me like a bombshell. This man, Jesus Christ, is the God of the universe. He died for me. He's given me a chance of eternal life. And so at that very moment, I just bowed my head and said, Lord, forgive me. I'm yours. You do with me what you want to do. And as a result of that decision, I then realized I could not any longer continue teaching evolution. That would be hypocritical to call myself a Christian, Mm. a Bible believer. As a science teacher. As a science teacher, right. Mm. The other thing was that most of the... um, uh, uh, scouting activities were on the weekend And Sabbath yeah. So the Sabbath was uh, an issue there So in both in both counts Teaching and, uh, and outdoor scouting I had to face the facts That I could not continue to be uh, double-minded I that was mm. all the way with God He went all the way for me All the way And I had this amazing impression That um, this world is going to go but God's offered me a better world. Mm, amen. And so the, the the vision, if you like, of a new heavens and a new earth, a better world than this one, just inspired me then to leave this career behind. It's not the end of of the world at all. It's the start of another journey. And so yeah, that was just a, a turning point in my life when I gave my heart to Jesus and and saw that yeah, he had so, like
1: a So you changed careers. Tell us about your new career. Yeah, look, uh You obviously had to go and restudy. Yes.
0: I I was urged by some of the church members to go to Avondale and okay. study for
1: the ministry. Um, now, that was what, a three-year course, four-year course?
0: It normally is a four-year course. Some take five or more. One, one man I spoke to the other day took seven. Uh, thankfully, I was able to do it in three years. And uh, during the first year there, I met a young lady that uh, later became my wife. I had said to the Lord when I went to Avondale because I'd had that Burnout experience with women back in, uh, mm. in 65 And here I am, 74 This is about nearly nine years later And I had uh, been very wary of uh, getting uh, intimate with women since that time For their sake as well mm. as mine um, But anyhow, when I became a Christian when, when Jesus changed my heart I began to see women in a different light I saw them as God's gift for man and, uh, and I saw that well, I need to treat women with respect, which my father never did. And so with that new attitude, I was able to form a relationship with, with Ruth. And uh, we shared many things that year. I proposed to her in June and she accepted. And we were married at the end of the year. And, uh, you know, we're still married 47 years later. Amen.
1: Yeah. Very good. So,
0: so God is good, you know, from a home.
1: And that was the year you started at Avondale, was it? 74, years. 74 That's right Okay
0: But as I said before I went there I said to the Lord, you know If you want me to remain single for the rest of my life That's okay mm. But if you want to bring a partner in your life It's your choice, not mine I, If I make the choice, I'm going to mess it up <laughs> I won't go into all the details But he organized Ruth in a way that is quite miraculous Yeah
1: So you did your theology degree Yes uh, you graduated seventy six. Yeah. Seventy six. What was your first calling posting uh, yeah. in the church? Yeah, the graduating
0: class of that year, uh, theology was about twenty. I was the first person called out of that class in in uh, seventy six, and I was called to become the registrar for Fulton College, um, which was the premier training school for our uh, in Fiji in Fiji yep. for teachers and uh, and uh, ministers and secretaries, and so on, um, on a six-year contract. We went through all the, the hoops and whatever, signed everything, went out there in 77. And uh, unfortunately, as the registrar, they put me on everything that was going. Uh, I think I was on eight different committees. I would leave in the morning oftentimes around uh, you know uh, five or six in the morning. It wouldn't see my family till about 10. I had a little boy at the time. He was only 18 months old. And my wife, Ruth. Basically, they were they were just uh, left alone. It was it was shocking. When I look back on it, I wasn't a husband or father. And eventually, I burned out physically. Nearly died in Fiji. And uh, by um, by September, or even by August, my whole digestive system had packed up. I could eat something in the morning; was still there at night. I just had lost all, if you like. Uh,
1: so you, what, you returned
0: to Australia for medical treatment? They brought me back uh, in late September, uh, hoping that I would be uh, helped. Well, when I got back, they put me through three weeks in the Sanit- Sydney Sanitarium of intensive tests. And finally, I was called into uh, to the physician's office in, uh, in Rowunga on a Friday afternoon. And I'm, you know, hoping for good news and he sat me down. This was late in the afternoon, and told me that I had terminal cancer, with uh, at the most six months to live. Well, you can imagine that was devastating. That no, was your, your world's just fallen apart. That's that was the preparation day, and my Sabbath was one of the worst I've ever had. Um, but you know, God is good, and uh, there was a date set. Well, they then they then said, well, we we will we the head surgeon, Doctor Clifford Herbert Clifford. Um, met with me and said we we have to perform an operation to see whether whether we can save you or do something and the the date of the operation was October 20, 1977 now I didn't realise at the time that I had been baptised in 73 on October 20 our son Paul was born on October 20, and here is my operation <laughs> if you like life and death each time 77, you know October 20, 73, 75, 77, I thought, man, oh man, God must be. That's fingers.
1: a that's a in three very uh, interesting coincidence because there's new life given in each stage. That's right,
0: exactly. Mm. So that really confirmed, if you like. Do God's you have God a, he a he Do he you St- have a
1: celebration every October twenty? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not really, Rod, but mm. yeah, I, I just praise God for that.
1: Mm. So, okay, yeah. so so you you came back. You were back on your feet. Um, mm. You reapplied for ministry? Did they give you a job back in the church? What was the uh, well, what happened work was, situation at that stage? They
0: just put me out out in the paddock, if you like, for a whole year to see how I'd, how and, I'd and go. And after
1: you did that, then what happened? They, they at, call you back?
0: At the end of 78, I was called back into ministry, yes, um, to Narra Court in South Australia. Okay. And I served in South Australia for um, five years, 19, hang on, 79 to 85. What's that? Uh, seven years. Seven years yep. in, in South Australia. Um and had very successful ministry there,
1: yeah um, and then I understand Ruth is a kiwi you went to New Zealand that's correct, yes, I realized her parents yeah cool. would would appreciate
0: our, our, our sharing our children because it was a difficult thing for for them to come over so I applied for for a ministry in New Zealand was given a call to greymouth and uh sta uh, um Spent two years at Greymouth. Unfortunately, I had an altercation with the uh, head elder there and was moved from Greymouth to, to Omeroo because uh, it appeared that I wasn't, uh, you know, <laughs> meeting the, if you like, requirements of the local church. Um, in the meantime, um, I, uh, I omaru was a very, uh, w- w- if I can put it mildly, was a very very different church from from Greymouth and uh, it didn't have a lot of uh, initiative there uh, older people and very little uh, you know to to help me so um, the minister the uh, president at the time uh, had uh, if you like a very um, uh, heavy handed administrator if I can put it that Mm. way and because I was in those days the budget was tight and I was probably getting more money than he thought I was worth just looking after one church. So at the end of uh, 89, I was told that uh, my services would no longer be required. My oldest boy was 14. My, my youngest daughter was nine. There was four children. We were living in Omaroo. It was just, a, if you like, a, a, death, a death blow to the whole family. And uh, I became very bitter, very angry. And for some years, I wandered in the wilderness. Yeah.
1: Okay. Now, you're you you, you were, you're in the wilderness, but you did reconnect with the church back in Australia. And you worked with the, what was it, just the North New South Wales Conference?
0: Yes. Um, eventually, Rod, they called me back into the ministry just through John Lang in 2004. I served for 16 years in the North New South Wales Conference
1: okay. as, as a volunteer pastor. Now, I want to get onto the health message uh, mm. with the time we have remaining and mm. ask you you said that when you were um, you went through your crises, you got interested in the health message mm. what was uh, what was driving you to be formally qualified with the health message? what was the motivation to get more involved in that because
0: it had been so powerfully um, manifested in my own life, you know. I'd had heart problems. I'd had all sorts of health issues before I joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But when I read the writings of uh, the prophet S. Ellen White and began to apply those principles to my life, you know, I'd already given up, as I said, some things that weren't good for my body. But then her counsel from God was just what I'd been looking for for years. And so I embraced that. And then I realized that as a pastor, the health message is the entering wedge, and so I became very
1: focused. Now, when you say the entering mm. wedge, mm. you mean that's the, the starting point which opens uh, or disarms people's prejudice against the gospel mm. because you're meeting people's needs and they mm. become more open to uh, more spiritual things. Mm. But
0: it also clears yeah. the mind, helps you to be able to think clearly. Yes. And it also, if you like, answers the, uh, the disease dilemma we have today where many people are trying to stay alive on drugs and surgery, and chemotherapy, and all these other medical, uh, if you like, uh, uh, um, options, is there a way of getting um, this health message out so
1: that people can really see God at work? So you went back, you got got formal um, qualifications in nutritional therapy. Yes. You got qualifications in life coaching. Yes. uh, In the health area. That's right. You also embarked upon developing your own health program. Yes. With a strong spiritual focus, tell yes. us about that. Yes, that was providential again. Um, you know, all I can
0: say is God is amazing, mm. and while while I'm just a bit of flotsam and jetsam on the sea of life, He sees something good in me. I don't know what it is, but somehow He does. And anyhow, but in the midst of all of this, I had in 19, uh, 2019, I'd helped a, a woman. Um, uh, she was a wife of a, uh, a A final year theology student Her name was uh, Elaine um, T- Tana- Tanavasa uh, Husband uh, was, was a student And the following year Because I'd helped her in health The following year Her husband is Pastoring I think it's a sunshine church A summer church down in Melbourne And uh, one of their members Is dying from leukaemia She only, only had a short time to live They want to give a bone Bone marrow transplant. She'd had um, chemotherapy treatment in 2000. They want to give her treat chemo again. She didn't want to go there. And so Elaine, Elaine's husband, rings me up and says, "You know, we've got this lady here that uh, would like to go and explore natural methods. Can you help him? Can you help her?" And of course, my immediate thought was, "This is a challenge," because what if she doesn't, you know, get through? It's going to be, uh, you know, re- really bad for me but if god is in it and he's calling me to do this well i've got to give it a go so with my training in health, health life coaching health health coaching as well as nutritional naturopathy through through the uk along with my own personal experience in life i was able to put together a program for this lady and right it was just incredible she had she had a whole host of diseases you know uh, leukemia um brain fog um, energy energy lacking uh, sores all over her body the whole system was packing up within two to three weeks she was completely healed of every every ailment and of course Mm. people had been praying for her prior to this thinking she was going to die and here she is she's living but not only living but she's thriving she's out you know in one hour walks she's running She's doing things she hasn't done for years like a, like a little girl. She couldn't believe it. And, of course, her testimony then inspires others. And all of a sudden, we're getting people from Australia, the Pacific Island, all around, asking me to help them with their health issues. And I've seen miracle after miracle of Now, with,
1: with your health program, as I said, there's a strong spiritual component. What do you want to bring out in the spiritual side with the health message, with these programs?
0: Sure. Rod, the thing that's lacking, and I've I've worked at several health retreats, is the spiritual component. They tend to just focus on the physical and the money side of it. I do not charge at all. I offer a free service, but if people want to support me with a donation, I do accept that. But I don't. It, it, Jesus gave his services for free, and I I, I feel the same way. But uh, just getting to your point, there, there's four parts to the to make uh, to, to for the program to work. There's the um, introductory uh, There's the professional There's the client testimony And there's the there's the spiritual The spiritual base is really to Recognize that God is the author of life This body belongs to him And ultimately this program is getting people ready For the coming of Christ Because I have a firm conviction If our bodies If we're not caring for these bodies as a gift from God He's not, not going to give us a second one, is he? So,
1: so if someone does a health program with you they're, they're under no misunderstanding That this is a spiritual journey for them
0: From from the get-go
1: Because God is the healer From the get-go And they've got to give their heart to the Lord
0: That's right And I believe that's that's probably the most important reason Why it's so successful I have yet to see any person come to me With one of the worst diseases known today You know, cancer, uh, insulin dependent uh, You know, <clears throat> over the roof, whatever Um you name it, uh, and this program firstly cleans the blood up because disease uh, destroys the immune system where this uh, live juice program will clean the blood up, and when the blood is clean, then it can do its work of healing. So you know, mm-hmm. if to cut bits out or put drugs in, if God's, you know, we're turning from man to God. One other
1: interesting point about, about the timing here, um, your health message, your health ministry coincided with covid Yes. And a lot of your um, interacting with people was via Zoom. Mm. And that enabled a lot of people to contact you. Mm. Um, Did you manage the the load? Was it overwhelming? How did you cope with the number of people that got in contact with you? Because people that have been healed talk and they they get their friends to to contact
0: people. It was very busy. um, And I didn't perhaps meet everyone's demands. But at one stage there, I used to have up to 30 clients a week. week. Um, At this stage... I've had the privilege of treating somewhere near 300. That's since June 20, 2020. And of course, the message has gone to thousands because they tell others. Mm. And I believe this is creating a sense of revival
1: to health in that church. Mm. And I'm privileged to be a part of that. Fantastic. Look, we're going to take a short break now. We'll be right back.
2: Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program, Or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 024973 3456. Or you can send an email to radio at 3ABNAustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you.
1: Welcome back to our program, By the Word of Their Testimony we've been listening to the testimony of Pastor Eddie Mackey, who was telling us about uh, some of the incredible results of the health program he developed. Now, uh, Pastor Eddie, from what you've faced in life, uh, the the setbacks and the challenges, and from what you now know with um, health and and how that can relate to our relationship with God, what what messages would you like to give to our listeners regarding um, their views on health or their approach to health? Yeah,
0: look, first of all, Rod, um, recognize that this body is a gift from God. If you don't have that concept, then you can do what you like with your body. This, this we don't own these bodies. That's number one. It says in uh, First Corinthians uh, six, nineteen to twenty, "Know ye not that your body is temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God, and you're not your own. You bought with a price. That's the blood of Christ. Mm. Therefore, glorify God in your body in the Spirit, which is God." So, the important thing then is. This body belongs to God. Now, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to put into it, uh, if you like, Satan's poison, the, the diet of this world, which will put me on a disease track and an early death? Or am I going to use the living foods of nature, which was man's original diet in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 129? God gave us the plant foods which have life in them, animal foods are dead carcasses. So we need to get away from all this stuff that's dead and put life into our bodies. So that would be the number one. Get on a plant-based whole foods diet.
1: And that will definitely affect the way we think. That will affect the clarity of our thoughts. Yes. It won't just help us spiritually. It will help us in every other aspect of our life. Exactly. And uh, provide provide quality of life. Yes. Well, thank you, uh, Pastor Eddie, for sharing with us your amazing testimony today. And um, I'm sure we've all been blessed by it. And we can sort of see from your testimony, uh, Romans eight twenty eight, that all things work together for good. Amen. Um, some things at the time appear to be going way off track. Yes. But when you look back from hindsight, we yes. can see how God has left, uh, led every step of the way. Yes. And uh, that's something we've seen in your story today, and we, we thank you for, uh, for coming along. So we thank you, two listeners, for joining with us today on uh, By the Word of Their Testimony. And um, we encourage you to uh, think about your health. We encourage you to read your Bible because uh, health is more than just physical health, it's spiritual health as well. And spiritual health, uh, if the mind is is healthy, uh, the body will be healthy also. And as we've heard from uh, Pastor Eddie Mackey today, when he was down in the abyss, um, his mind was gone, so did his health too. So we invite you to get back into your Bibles, we invite you to, to look at your health, and um, we thank you for joining with us today. So do join us again next time, and God bless.
0: Been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.
2: Let's listen to William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. The theme for Psalm 146 is Sweet happiness is for those whom God helps. Hallelujah! Praise the name of of the Lord, O my soul. While God gives me life, I will praise him. I will sing his praises while I am alive. Do not put your trust in the great men of the earth, nor in mere human beings who cannot help anyone. For the spark of life goes out, and he is returned to the earth. In the day that he dies, his plans fail. The man who has the God of Jacob to guide him is a confident and happy man, for his God is the Lord, the true God, who created the heavens where he dwells and the earth where we live. He made the great seas and all the myriad creatures in them, and the truth about him gives life to all his creatures. He brings right justice to bear for all who are wronged. He gives food to the poor and the needy. He also releases those who are unjustly imprisoned. The Lord restores sight to the blind and gives a new lease on life to those who are discouraged. He wants His children to live righteous lives. The Lord has a special care for the stranger. He provides for the orphans and the widows, but He brings confusion and despair into the lives of the wicked. The Lord shall be our great King forever. He shall be your God, O Zion, and to every generation. Praise the Lord.